Everybody doing all right? Who is missing summer and who is loving this weather? If you're loving this weather, raise your hand. If you're one of those weirdos that wishes it was still summer, raise your hand. Oh, we got, we got a couple over here. <laughs> I'm so excited for sweater weather, right? Um, so it's so good to have you guys in here today. Um, today we are going to talk about, um, I think it's chapter 17 and 18 in the book that we have been going through, if you are new to us, uh, What is the Bible by Rob Bell. Um, and one of the first um, chapters that we're going to talk about is the thing about tribes. Um, so in the ancient um, Near East and really all over the world, um, tribes were families that came together as a means of what? Like, why would you form a tribe? Safety. Safety. Yep, absolutely. So there's safety in numbers. Uh, you get a group of people together. Um, so some people can go out and hunt while other people stay home and cook things and plant things and take care of um, children. Um, and so people work together in order to stay alive. Um, and then, so, so then you have neighboring tribes who are then fighting over what? resources. Uh, so there's only a certain amount of food, there's only a certain amount of water, there's only a certain amount of um, money, um, and then the larger your tribe is, the safer typically you are. Um, and so the, in the ancient Near East, there's just constantly these tribes at battle with each other. Uh, tribes are um, a means to protect themselves. So as part of a tribe, your identity is in your tribe. There is no individual identity. You exist for the sake of your tribe, um, and you are, and your tribe is there to protect you um, and to protect that group. Um, and so it was very, very important. Um, and so this is why um, hospitality was so important. So if somebody from a neighboring tribe comes in and um, and is wandering through your land, if you are um, terrible to them if you do not offer them hospitality if you're mean to them if you let them starve instead of uh, offering them a, a food and a place to sleep what might happen yeah yeah they might seek revenge what if they're from a bigger stronger tribe than you you don't know that um, and so that's why we have uh, stories of of Abraham that's why we have the story of Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah um, it's the way that you treated the neighboring tribes was really important because it might have a lot to do with your tribe um, and so, um, so, I mean, I know this is kind of crazy. It's not like nations today exist for the sakes of themselves. It's not like they try to keep other people out. It's not like we go to war with each other all the time. So I know this is really a stretch to think about. Um, that was sarcasm, but <laughs> um, so, so that's what's going on with these tribes. And then God comes along and talks to Abraham. And we've talked about this Abraham um, covenant uh, the past few weeks. Does anybody remember what God's covenant with Abraham entailed? It was a couple of things. Great name, property, great nation. Yes, yes to all those things. So your children will be um, as, as many as the stars and as many as the, the grains of sand. Um, you're gonna be a great nation. Uh, what else? He's asking him to start, start a new tribe. Leave your land um, and come follow me. Start a new tribe. Um, and so what else does God promise? Thank you. Uh, land, yes. 
which all would be things that are important to tribes, right? So a uh, great number of children, land, lots of possessions, you're going to be blessed. But the special thing about this tribe that um, God was calling Abraham to is that, um, and, and these, these are only two of um, dozens of verses about this, uh, but it says, I will make your, you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Uh, and then in Genesis 22:18, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So what God is saying is this tribe, your tribe is actually going to exist for the sake of the whole world. This is not a tribe that's gonna be inwardly focused only, that's only fo worried about their own safety um, and who cares about the rest of the tribes. Um, you know, we'll, um, it's, it's going to exist for the sake of the world. Can you see how radical and how different that would have been um, in this time? Can you see how radical that might be for this time that we live in? Um, that you would exist as a people that would bless other people instead of constantly holding on to those blessings and hoarding them for yourself. Um, so if we think about the time that this was happening, this was a pretty barbaric time. I mean, if you look in history and you look at the way um, that women were treated and slaves were treated, and if you look at the varying types of wars and the way that people would come in and wipe out nations, they would go to war with the tribe and they would literally kill everybody in the tribe and then take all of their stuff. Uh, or maybe they would just kill all the men and then take all the women and children and bring them into their tribe to grow their tribe. And then they would take all of their stuff. Um, it, it, it kind of reminds me of like medieval times you know we watch movies about that or we read books about that and it's barbaric right you just never never knew um, when you were going to be in danger um, food was scarce safety was scarce uh, these were barbaric times and so rob bell's point in this um, this chapter is that when we see things in scripture about violence and we see things in scripture that seem barbaric of course we will. That was the time that these people lived in. Um, so these tribes, every individual tribe had a God. Um, there, there was not a sense of, of um, or multiple gods actually. So there wasn't a sense of, you know, these 14 tribes kind of share a similar God. Um, the gods blessed that tribe. Um, and so if they did well in battle, then that must be thanks to the gods. If, uh, if it rained and their crops grew, that was thanks to the gods. Um, if their neighbors did not get any rain and they all died of famine, well, their gods must not be taking care of them. Um, if we were able to defeat that other tribe, um, then our God is stronger than their God. Um, and so they attributed um, everything that happened to their gods, whether their gods were angry with them or happy with them or whether they were stronger than the surrounding gods. Um, and so it's not necessarily unusual that we would see in scripture um, that these people would have thought, oh, things are going well for us. That must mean that our God is happy with us or our God is uh, calling us to do these things. Um, not necessarily blaming the gods, but that was just the culture they lived in. And we've talked a lot about the last couple of weeks about context and the, the, um, the, the culture and how that informs scripture. And so I think that that's really important to keep in mind. Um, <clears throat> So, I mean, let's all admit scripture, especially in the Old Testament, but also as we have read um, with the Ananias and Sapphira story and some, some other things in the New Testament, there are some parts that, that are difficult. Um, there are, are times when it seems like God is saying, go in and wipe out all of these people. There are times where God seems 
um, really vengeful and, and angry, um, even towards his own people. If you read the Exodus story closely, um, although God loves his people and pulls them out, um, there, there are times that Moses has to say, whoa, 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 um, let's take a step back. Let's not kill all of these people. Let's not start over. Um, stick with us. Um, and so some of those are hard to, to maybe wrap our brains around, especially um, when we also, on the other hand, have God who sent us Jesus and who loved us. And so there's this tendency to kind of think that there's this Old Testament God who is angry and mean and um, did all these you know terrible things. And then there's a New Testament God who's really a nice God. Um, does anybody in here, I mean, does that sound familiar? Is that something that you... Um, But I would certainly challenge that because even though we have examples of uh, violence and um, some some things that that we really have to wrestle with and struggle with in Scripture, uh, there are also some really radically um, kind and loving and just things that God is doing in Scripture. Um, And so what I would argue is that God is taking these people where they are and slowly pulling them forward. And then he takes them where they are and slowly pulls them forward. And then he takes them where they are and slowly pulls them forward. So hopefully, you know, um, we grow as, as communities, we grow as people, and we're not as barbaric as we used to be. We do not have slaves anymore. We do not treat people poorly based on the color of their skin anymore. Um, ideally. Um, And so we're constantly being moved forward and God is meeting us where we are and pulling us even further forward. And so I just wanted to point out a couple of examples of this. And obviously one of the first ones would be, um, I I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Your tribe is going to exist to bless other people. Um, uh, when, When the Exodus story happens, God calls them out Um, in order to be his people so that they can be a light to the nation, so that other people will look at this nation and say, hey, there's something different about them. There's something different about their God. Um, I think I might want to join forces with them. Um, And so one of those is in Exodus. says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear them. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. So we have this, and this idea is pretty common um, if you read like the, the um, minor prophets and you read the major prophets and, and all throughout scripture. Um, God says, if you follow me, things are going to go well for you. And if you don't follow me, they won't. But God does not delight in punishing his people. The purpose of any sort of punishment is to bring them back to God. And God never punishes without, without warning, without giving chances to, to return. He sends the prophets. He sends, um, he sends people. He sends uh, his word to say, hey, turn around, come back to me. Um, and if you don't, there will be consequences because there, there are consequences for, um, for sin and evil in the world. Um, but the purpose of that is not because God is a mean God. The purpose is God wants to pull us back to him. Um, but it says, if you uh, lend money to any of my people with you, uh, who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Uh, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. 
Um, and then later on in Deuteronomy, if your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Uh, so there's a sense of um, if you're a slave, you're only a slave for a little while. There's this thing, um, you know, we have the Sabbath, who, which is the day of rest, but then we also have Sabbath years, which are um, years that we let the land lie fallow and that we let slaves go free and that we cancel out all of, all of the debts. So if you're in debt, every, um, every, what is it, like 60 years, um, the land or the debt goes away. It's completely gone and that land is returned to the family that it belonged to. So there are these things in place to, to help those who are poor, to help those who are marginalized, uh, to make sure that there is no hoarding of resources and that the people at the top don't get to keep everything at the expense of the people at the bottom. Um, and that's a really radical idea, even still in today's world. Um, this is not, this is a hard lesson for us to hear. We don't follow these. And we also have uh, commands in the Bible to leave a portion of your field uh, un, uh, unharvested so that the poor and the widow and the orphan can come in and glean and have that food. So there's all these protections in place. There's all of these um, examples where, uh, where God shows his love and mercy and he shows how he is teaching his people to be loving and merciful and different than the surroundings surrounding nations around them. Um, so I really liked this quote from Rob Bell, which says, uh, the violence isn't that surprising. Um, so when we, when we read scripture and we read it in the context of what a violent time this was in the world, uh, it's not that surprising. What actually is surprising is that among all of that violence are new ideas about serving and blessing and nonviolence. What do you guys think of that? Does anybody? Anybody agree? Anybody want to challenge that? If you do, that's okay. I don't have all all the answers. Mm -hmm. We can we can have some lively debate. What surprises me is that God tells the tribe to go attack people violently, even though they haven't necessarily involved the tribe. And so then it's not necessarily the idea of serving and blessing and nonviolence, yeah. but violence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think some of what you're referring to is um, like going into the land when they, um, after they leave the wilderness and they go into the land, God says, um, wipe out the people in the land. Um, and so I think that, uh, and, and there is quite a bit of debate about this. Uh, the way Rob Bell leans on this is the people are possibly putting words in God's mouth um, because that is the way um, that, that their culture would have, um, would have seen how this worked and they would have said if god has given us this land therefore um, this is what we we should do um, and then if we have victory in that then we're going to bless our god uh, but that's certainly not the only way to to look at it and i think that there are some scholars that um, that would um, suggest that there might be reasons behind that that uh, perhaps we don't know or understand um, and so i think that that is something that we have to hold in tension and something that we have to sit with um, and uh, I don't think it's fair for us to just pretend like that's not in the Bible or that that is um, something we can kind of gloss over. I think that that um, we have to look at those stories um, and take them for for what they say, but at the same time, we have to look at those stories in the overarching narrative and say, um, what what was God doing? What has God continued to do? What does the overarching narrative tell us about who God is? 
Um, does that make sense? Do you want to add anything yeah, to that? I just say that? There is a passage that says uh, God is waiting to, to send the Israelites into Canaan until the sins of the Amorites reaches its full measure or something like that. So there is a sense in which they're not just innocent people in the land. They're doing things that are not that are not nice. Yeah. I guess is how you think. Uh, so it's not like they're just they're great people, you know. Uh, not that that justifies what happened, but um, another thing is, you know, and Bell points this out. The the historical stories about what the Israelites did in the land of Canaan are written down a lot later than actual happenings. Mm-hmm. And I think they're doing some processing in those stories of, of what, you know, I think, I don't know, I was talking to somebody maybe after class last week about, he was told that there are chariots, chariot wheels in the bottom of the Red Sea that prove that the Exodus story really happened. Has anybody heard that before? I've, I've heard they found them in the Reed Sea, not yeah, in the yeah. Red Sea. But I looked into that. I mean, I've looked into that in the past. It's been a, several years now, but I don't think there's there's not that kind of evidence. And I don't know that we should expect that kind of evidence. You know, it doesn't mention the Pharaoh by name of the Exodus. And there's a lot, lots of work to try to figure out what Pharaoh and what time that happened, actually, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is... Um, it's kind of like we talked about with the Jonah story last week. Those they may not be intended to be. That here's what the Israelites did: they went and wiped everybody out. Uh, there could be some other purpose to that type of language. Yeah. Um, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. To yeah. That uh, actually happened. And that's a great point because when when a lot of this would have been written down would um, is likely during their Babylonian captivity. Um, so one, they're they're in this strange land. They're they're writing down what had been an oral history to 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 remind themselves of their identity while they are um, somewhat being assimilated into this foreign land. And they had been um, um, conquered by the Babylonians because of their sin. Um, God had said you. Um, you're not taking care of widows and orphans. You're sacrificing, um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean anything because you don't actually care about the people around you. Therefore, um, I'm sending the Babylonians who will conquer you, In or, but but there will be a remnant, a faithful remnant of people who will get to go back. Um, and, and there's this sense of, I'm doing this to turn you back to me. Um, and so I think that, that in that context, seeing how they would have understood their story about who they are and where they came from um, is really important. Great point. Thanks for bringing that up. Anybody else have any questions or suggestions? Ah, sorry. Um, so we kind of we kind of already talked about question number one. Does anybody else have anything they want to add there as far as how we can hold the tension of the violence and the grace? Um, and so question two is what word might our own tribe need to hear from this message today? There's a lot of words. <laughs> the, the current situation, political stuff, um, 
hearing Josh's sermon today and just thinking back on conversations my wife and I've had in the past couple months, I feel like origin or um, roots is a good word. Say, you know, things like the whole thing of refugees. Like we were refugees. Everybody, like, right. we got to get back to our origin. What does Jesus want us to do? I mean, you read in those, but even in the yeah. Old Testament, it said don't let a widow or a fatherless child go hungry. Yeah. You've got to hear, and that's convicting. God will hear their cries. Think how many kids were separated from their parents just because they came from south of the border. But God's ears were bleeding with screams, you know? Hmm. And that's, that's on us. Hmm. That's a modern day example. Yeah. I think going back to our roots and knowing who is a foreigner and who we need to show hospitality to. Yeah. Um, it's not easy. It might not be fun, but got to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the language of this tribe will be a blessing to other people stands in very stark contrast to me to an America first policy uh, at the expense of everyone else. Anyone else? Absolutely. When we were in Australia, um, I, I think George, you know this, that uh, a lot of the Australians find it a little offensive how um, the Christian Australians find it a little offensive how we are so hardcore America above everybody else. They mm-hmm. feel like we are. Yes. And so, um, if you know, it's, it really opens your eyes when you're around Christians in other countries. Who are saying, wait, isn't it Christian first? Right. What's our what's our primary identity in? You know, what is your yeah, where, where's your identity lie? Yeah. And it really makes you think about that when you're around Christians from other countries who are going, wait a minute, why are you yeah. willing to say yeah, you know, yay America and right in front of their faces instead of, you know, being concerned more with your relationship with them as a Christian. Absolutely. It's also a far cry to take scripture and impose that and say that a country can't be patriotic and can't have law. So we don't have time for all that here. Uh, yeah. Patriotism and, and loving your country, I think, is important. And that's and that is, um, I mean, I think that, that we all know that we are blessed to be in this country. And I think that we um, um, enjoy a number of freedoms that we can be very, very thankful for. And part of being thankful for our country and part of loving our country might mean calling out our country when our country especially if we're going to say that America, that we want America to be a Christian nation. Okay, well, what does that look like? Um, if we're going to be a Christian nation, that's, if that's the end goal, which I don't know that it should be, um, but if that is the end goal, then, um, then what could that look like? What should that look like? I have another section to get to, um, so we'll, we'll move on really quickly. Uh, so this chapter was titled, do what with our what's, uh, and it's about circumcision. So, uh, <laughs> um, fitting title there. Um, 
So it, we're going, going back to tribe, tribal identity. Circumcision was the way that you knew um, this person belonged to this tribe. Um, and so, um, it, like, it's, it's when Moses is, is drawn from the water by the daughter of Pharaoh, and she says, oh, this is a Hebrew. She likely knew that because he was circumcised. Um, this, this is a huge identity marker. It says who's in, who's out. Um, for all the other, the, the people who said, okay, I think I might want to join um, this nation and what they're doing, the requirement would have been that they would be um, circumcised. And that was, that was a good thing. Um, that's a, for, for God, that was what he had asked in order to, um, to show the level of commitment um, and, and to, to show, hey, you are different, and this is a visual representation of, of that reminder of, of that commitment that you have made to be my people and to be about my purposes. Um, and so, um, so later on, so in the, in the Old Testament, that this is seen as, as a good thing, and then we get to the New Testament, um, and then um, we have Paul, and we have um, some of the, the other um, early disciples and apostles who are arguing about circumcision. Um, and so we, get, we go from circumcision is a good thing, you should be circumcised, to whoa, 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 why are we telling people they need to be circumcised? And so looking at that, you might think, uh, how did we get here? Why did we get here? Um, is the Bible contradicting itself? Um, and I think that what's going on is that what used to be a, a marker of tribal identity, um, now we're now um, after Jesus, um, our, your identity is no longer in your circumcision. Uh, your identity is in Jesus Christ and is in your baptism and is in receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, and so it's, it goes back to that question of identity. What is your, um, what is your identity in? Um, and so Paul doesn't have a problem with circumcision. Um, he's, he, he's telling Jews, like, if, if this is important to you, that's okay. Just don't make it a requirement for other people. Um, he has a problem with how it's being used um, as a way to show who's in and who's out. Um, it's a good thing being used in a bad way. So essentially what Paul is saying is, no, you do not get to decide who's in and out of this thing. Spirit gets to decide who's in and out of this thing. Um, and if they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, then they are, they are part of this. And uh, that's regardless of whether or not they're a Jew, a Gentile, what kinds of food they eat, whether they're circumcised or not. Um, so this was kind of a, a short section, but I think there's a lot to discuss in this. So uh, what word might this have for us today? Does it have a word for us today? Are there any ways that we might try to keep people out or might try to say who is in and who's out and you have to look like this if you're going to be part of us and you have to do this if you're going to be part of us? I think growing up it was the words were Church of Christ. Like, you know, instead of people saying, um, I think how it's worded when I was growing up, it's like, we're Church of Christ, they're Baptists or there, insert whatever, you know, name. And it's like, and it, I remember eventually thinking like, aren't we just Christians, you know? And mm -hmm. like, and even, I can even remember my mom, like, I'm trying to think, it's like, like on a Wednesday night or something, I was like, I can't go to, my friend asked me to go to church with her, and I was like, I can't go. And she was like, yes, you can. Like, just go over there, it is a Baptist church. And then one time, 
I thought like I had to be at my church, and she was like, "Please just go." Which was, she's just so much smarter than I am. But um, I would say definitely growing up, that was the phrase I heard the most was like, "Well, we're Church of Christ, and so we're doing it exactly right." Which, as we know, shocker, we're not. You know, and so um, yeah, so that would pop in my mind. Yeah. of the LGBT community and how we can never, I don't hear it said a lot that you can be gay and also go to church, you know? Hmm. That's been a big one I've noticed. Yeah. Anyone else? So maybe maybe the question isn't for us, uh, for Otter Creek, for this group. Maybe it's not, um, are, are there ways that we're trying to keep people out of the kingdom of God? But maybe it's, are there ways we try to keep people over there? They can do their thing and be Christians over there and we'll, we'll be our people over here. Um, so... So what, what percentage of Nashville is African-American? That's country. Nashville is 33%. Um, what percentage of Otter Creek is African-American? So perhaps this is an example of you don't look like us, you don't sound like us, your culture isn't like ours, therefore um, you do your thing over there and we'll do our thing over here. Which I, I would say um, Paul tells us we should have no part in that. Jesus tells us we should have no part in that. God tells us we should have no part in that. Um, so what are some ways that we can be conscious and be aware of um, ways that we are trying to to keep others out and how can we break down some of those barriers because I think there's a difference between being a good person and loving people and actively trying to to um, reconcile things and to uh, be a person of, of justice and renewal and reconciliation so what are some ways that we can maybe do that Yeah. Yeah. Something that's less socially relevant, but, you know, talking about the old Church of Christ and all that, I mean, it drove me nuts that we thought we could sit in our pews and invite people to us. Like, bring the inner city to us. Right. Bring the poor. Right. Get out of the building. Go somewhere. Do something. Be active. Go to yeah. them. Meet them where they are and serve them and do something that's, because that is a way of limiting them. If they didn't get on the bus that night, they didn't get, you know, get to come hang out with us. Yeah. And that is a way of limiting yeah, I, I mean, that's literally putting up walls is in the walls of the church building instead of being the church out in, in the community. Um, one thing that some of my African-American friends have been convicting me of lately is that uh, when, we, when we talk about reconciliation, typically that means come assimilate into our culture. 
<laughs> and that's not necessarily something that other cultures want to do. Um, and so it's recognizing uh, the beauty in their culture, singing some of the songs that are important to them, um, um, preaching about the kinds of things that are important to those groups, um, because those are messages that we need to hear as well. Um, and so it, even things as, as um, seemingly small as that have a really, really large impact. The other thing here too is that in my daily life in Brentwood and Franklin, 40 to 50% of people I see are not white Americans. Mm -hmm. They're also not African Americans. Right, right. So there's a whole other population yep. that's come into this area that you know, we reach out to them and making it Absolutely. easy and okay for them to you know, engage with us. Absolutely. There's a huge um, refugee population um, here in Nashville, um, and and that's a that's such a great point. Um, is is that you know it's it's not just um, African American and you know European American descent um, people. We also have um, there's there's a growing Muslim community here. Um, there's uh, a small um, Jewish community here, but there is a Jewish community here. And and how are we um, how are we being um, the kingdom of God in, in all of those spaces. Any other questions about anything we talked about today? Um, we've got about five more minutes, so let's have some good lively discussion. Yes? Uh, so I've heard that circumcision is not just limited to Hebrew practice, but also might have been something that they stole from Egyptian practices as well. Hmm. Do you know anything about that? Because I've uh, never heard there that. Are some other cultures that did circumcise, but not not many. I don't know about Egyptians, or I don't I don't know about that. Maybe I don't know for sure, but I do know some others did practice it. So it's not that it's unique just to Hebrews, but mm -hmm. that's that's the way it is all through the Bible. Yeah. My biggest example is a rainbow, for example. Uh, rainbows exist. I don't think that. Here's, here's my theory. God did not invent the rainbow after the flood. Because you can make a rainbow, I can make a rainbow with a water hose. If you shoot it the right way in, in the light, there's a rainbow, right? It's just a natural, physical thing that happens. I don't know, I can't explain the physics of it. Somebody in here can. Answer. But, um, but what God does is he takes that physical phenomenon and attaches a new significance to it. Mm -hmm. So... And maybe things like baptism, for example, there's other religions that do something similar with water. Including Judaism. But it, but it has a new, God gives it a new meaning. So circumcision may have been something that was practiced for some people, but God takes that practice and attaches a, mean, a covenantal meaning to it. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking about as we were talking about it is, you know, it seems like a very narrow, it it's a narrow, God's only working through in the Old Testament, God's working through Israelites and circumcised males, males and that type of thing. But, but the goal is to lead to the Messiah and in Jesus. And then Paul's thing is that now, that now that it's led to Jesus, why are we still going back to circumcision as the marker for who's in? It's yeah. faith in Christ. Now it's faith in Jesus. And so faith in Jesus is really the only thing that, that could break us out of our tribal identity. Hmm. So it's, it's natural, it's a natural human thing, I think, to hang out with people that are similar to you. So I know when I'm in new groups, I tend to 
look for somebody that's about my age that looks kind of like me. Like I would hang out with you. Uh, I know, but I said, I said about, relatively speaking, like I'm going to go talk to you versus talking to somebody over here that's younger, black, that much younger than I am. Just because that's just your natural, it's called the mm -hmm. homogeneous unit principle, yeah. sociological principle. If you go up in the cafeteria at Lipscomb, you know, people that look like each other tend to sit with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a natural human thing. Uh, and I think... You can critique the Bible for saying, look, it's just circumcised people. It's, why does it have to be so particular? But, um, you know, when you build a hospital to help a community, you have to build it in a certain place, in a certain corner. Why did you build it on that corner and not another corner? But, so, God had to work through a specific people, but his goal was always to open it up to the whole world. Yeah. And I think Israel is a good example of how sometimes in churches we have the same problem. We tend to focus on ourselves and forget that we're blessed to bless to other most others. Peoples. Yeah. And you just start really thinking inward instead of thinking outward. Yeah. And we do the same thing that he criticized Israel for. You know, I, I'm intending this for everybody. You guys are just taking it for yourself. And when Jesus came, you know, he dealt with that. And then Paul is trying to open it up to others, and he's dealing with that too. And it's. It's something that can happen in our own day and age too. Absolutely, and and I don't, and I think that circumcision was certainly meant to be um, an identity thing and, an, and a reminder of the covenant. Uh, but so so was having you know the words written on on the doorpost. So were tassels. So were the kinds of food that you ate. Um, so were the the cleanliness rites and the following the law. Um, but we see over and over in in scripture in giving the law in the the prophets uh, talking about the law. Um, saying, hey, you, maybe you're doing all these things to the letter of the law, but you still don't have love. You still don't have justice. You still don't have mercy. Um, I don't care if you sacrifice the bulls on a thousand hills. I don't care if, you, if, you, if there are rivers of oil. What I actually want is for you to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so their primary identity was always in being the people of God. That was just a physical representation as a reminder to humans. God doesn't need the reminder, but we do need reminders. So. Lord, you bring up an interesting point too. Like, you know, God could have blessed the world through another tribe. And I think of like Genghis Khan and what he did with the Mongols, mm -hmm. and, right? Like a big, strong uh, people who, on the opposite end of the spectrum from the Israelites, they assimilated everybody, welcomed everybody. And, and you might look at that as more of a, a modern thing. He could have said, I'm going to bless the world the United States and you know, your, your rich soil that feeds the earth with wheat. But he chose a small, oppressed, weak, mm -hmm. very particular, right? And it's, it's, that's God's thing. He's, he comes for the marginalized, not Genghis Khan. Absolutely. You know, you can see God's plan way before Jesus comes. Absolutely. And in Deuteronomy, God, in giving the law specifically says, and don't you think that you're my people because of how great you are. Don't you think that you're my people because of how righteous you are. You're my people because I am blessing you and I am choosing to make you my people. Um, and so it kind of uh, is a reminder of, of some humility there that, that possibly we could use as well today is, is don't you think that you're in because you've got it all right. Um, you're in through God's grace and nothing else. Thanks for your conversation today, guys. This has been this has been wonderful. Any other questions or comments before we close out?
great. See you all next week.